everybody. I'm Lisa. And I'm Nick. And welcome to It Takes Two, the podcast where two people take two movies with the same plot or premise and watch and discuss them. And in this week's episode, we watched The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent and a, an amazing film called The Fanatic. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so these are both films about a uh, an actor who is put in a sticky situation by an, a fan who is quite obsessed with him. Yes, an obsessed fan even. Yeah. Um, very different tonally. <laughs> very different tonally. <laughs> very different in terms of uh, quality. Yeah. And writing and acting. <laughs> uh, before we get into any kind of spoiler territory, the first thing I want to say is um, please everyone go watch The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Oh yeah, that movie was amazing. Yeah, it was fantastic. It's like almost a perfect movie. Almost. I, I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. I would be quite happy to go see it again, to be perfectly honest. I'd be happy to watch it again, yeah. Yeah. We'll get it, we'll get it on, what, 4K Blu-ray when it yeah, comes out. Yeah. Um, and then I guess the other thing to say is don't ever watch The Fanatic. Let, let this podcast be the only <laughs> time. <laughs> no, this is, I did, I said to Nick um, before we started recording that I'm going to have some bad news for him. And the bad news is I think we're going to have to watch The Fanatic again. Why? We're doing this as a fun episode. So this is an episode where they're not, you know, they're quite different tonally films but they you know have a similar premise but um i'm pretty sure we ju- we just watched a shitty version of joker and i think we're gonna have to compare the fanatic and joker at some point oh no we did just watch a shitty version we, of the joker we just watched a shitty version of the joker <laughs> um so we will t- we'll come back to that in a later episode but probably in like 2026 when we start to run out of other episodes but i do think We'll have to come back to that. Because <laughs> it's, it's, the whole way through, I was thinking, oh no, I'm seeing too many similarities here. Yeah. Um, but for today, we're talking about The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent and The Fanatic. Um, and the similarities and differences that they have. So it'll be, you know, how they both tackle uh, a similar subject matter in different ways. Very different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, Nicolas Cage in... And by a word of massive talent, is fantastic as himself because who else would play him? Um, well, that's, he, that's the joke, hey, because he was going to play. He the, didn't want to play himself. Yeah. Um. They have. They did have. Oh, I don't think I broke it down, but they have talked about. I've seen articles where they've talked about who they would get to play him if it wasn't himself. Um. So I can look that up later on while you're while you're ranting about something, but um. <laughs> But he, when he read the script, he loved the character of Hobby. Yeah. And he wanted to play Of course Hobby. he did. He th- and he thought it would be extra The only meta. person in the world who would have the opportunity to play himself as himself in a movie and wanted want to play, to the... play the supporting character. Yeah. Because <laughs> I love Nicolas Cage. Like, despise, despite, despise. Despite all of his personal life issues, hmm. like where he was spending more than he was earning. Yeah, which blamed, is reflected in the film. And blamed as a... Yeah, yeah, it, it's perfect. Like, it's literally perfect. Yeah, it's, it's really well done. He seems like... I've, I've seen more interviews with Nick Cage recently than I have 
um, ever before. Um, and he seems like a pretty cool guy, actually. In real yeah. life, you know, um, but it's funny because I was watching an interview with him, um, with the with the, you know the writers and cast of Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, and he said that when he read the script, which we already knew he wanted to be Javi, but he said that. As he was reading Javi's lines, he was picturing Pedro Pascal's face, even though he hadn't been cast. Interesting. Um, and he said, and so uh, allegedly the only reason he said, "Okay, I'll play me," is because they <laughs> independently cast Pedro Pascal. But they cast Pedro Pascal not necessarily for his acting abilities. They cast him because when they like auditioned him, it was very very clear to him. That he is a massive Nicholas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> That's so meta. So he's also fine. <laughs> so, um, where do you want to start with comparing these movies? I just don't. You don't. Like I just want to talk about how bad the fanatic is for the next yeah. three years. <laughs> um, I feel I don't know. I I kind of went into it. Whoosh. Sorry. Uh, the fanatic. You yeah. talk about how bad it is. It is very bad. I agree with you. It's very bad, and everything about it. Is have very bad. you? Okay, so while we were watching the movie, yeah. While the movie was on display, yeah. Um, it was like a train wreck. You couldn't look away from. Um, I looked up how much money it made. Uh, that's what I was looking up right before we started. Yeah. Do you want to go into the budget box office stuff now? Just, let's just rip that band-aid off. Yeah, yeah. So the budget for the fanatic was $18 million. And it made $3,153. That's amazing. Yeah. Um... And what I, what I loved is that when I tried to look it up, because it's not listed on the IMDb page, so I had to specifically look it up elsewhere. And when I looked it up, like, what they've written under it was, which makes it a, fa- a, a Hollywood failure. And I was like, yeah, it does make it a failure. They lost $18 million. Who? Who's like, like... Because... The problem I have with it is, I like John Travolta. Mm-hmm. There's some stuff I don't want to go into here okay. about him that I suspect because he is in the same religious right, okay. group as Tom Cruise. Yes. Um, I feel sorry for him that his son died. I yep. feel sorry for him that his wife died. Mm-hmm. Um, but saying this was the greatest movie you get to act in. Yeah, so this this and is this my problem. And this was his unbearable weight of massive talent. Yes. Is fucking insane. Yeah, so this is this is what I was going to say. I went into The Fanatic with trying to give it the benefit of the doubt because um, the character that uh, John Travolta plays in The Fanatic is um, somewhere on the autistic spectrum. That yeah. seems to be the general gist of it. He is definitely a... See, it's interesting because the his job, and I say that with air brackets, is he pretends to be an English bobby. Yeah. And he walks up and down the promenade in LA. Yeah, he's a street performer. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, he's got a very expensive hobby, mm-hmm. which is yeah. buying... Where did um, the money come from? That's where I'm going to get to. Buying um, movie memorabilia yeah. from dealers um, to the point where he the opening for him is he walks into the store 
and he haggles the guy down from $700 to $300 for a prop vest that Hunter Dunbar, who's the his obsession, yeah. um, wore in a, in a weird movie that we only get like one scene from, played like three times. I think it was three times, and it was like Hunter Vampires or something, Vampire mm. Hunters or something. Some like yeah, B grade so cheesy action. Yeah, because he's supposed sci-fi. to be like his special interest is supposed to be film horror films specifically yeah, in filmmaking. Yeah. Um. Yeah, my I don't know. The, but the, sorry, I'm gonna yeah. finish my point because you were like staring at me like. Yeah, because I I started making a point and then you started making a point and I've been waiting for you to finish your point yeah, so yeah. I can we can go back to what I was um, saying. <laughs> Leah, who's his only friend, other than the security guard who saves his ass a couple of times. I think he's a janitor. I don't even think he's a security guard. Is he a security guard? He had a badge. Oh, okay. Um, and a couple of thought at the beginning, when he came down, because they were in the bathroom, he came yeah. down and I thought he was just a janitor. Um, he must be on some form of financial assistance. Or he inherited the place he's living. That's another possibility. Because... With regard to the memorabilia, um, you know, he talks to his his friend and she says like Leah. he can't yeah, Leah, she yeah. says like he can't borrow from me anymore. Yeah. Um, so he's obviously borrowing money on a regular basis as well. Um there's no way he can afford the place that he lives in. No. Literally so he must have inherited because um, his rival, Todd, who yeah. is just absolute a piece of shit. Yeah. Like everything about is a piece of shit yeah. like he's a extreme and i literally wrote it down with an x yeah because that's how extreme todd is um he's also um i i feel like his 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 shots in the movie were edited out of sequence because you see him you see him getting a fight with the guy he's working with and then he's like oh we've we've yeah, stopped working was, together you need to work with me and, and then they were working together again and suddenly he was desperate to have and it was like okay i think the editors messed this up and put these scenes in the wrong place yeah with the writing and the directing yeah. and the um, casting and but anyway what i was saying before we got onto this whole thing was that i tried to go into it um expect you know i knew it wasn't going to be a good film but I thought maybe the writing is just bad and John Travolta is doing his best with what he's been given. Yeah. Um, because he chose to do the project because the character is on the autism spectrum, spectrum yeah. and because his son who passed away... Was on the spectrum. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's obviously a lot of love from John Travolta going into that. Um, but as the movie went on, I was just like, it's not just the writing. He's acting terribly. He's not... Like, I don't... Yeah, if, there's, a, there's a massive difference when people play people with um, some form of um, disability. There's a difference between Rain Man, which is the... You take that and you put... You know, you, you they're the examples from Tropic Thunder, I hate to quote it, but, you know, that's the... That's the level. You, there, you can be... Forrest Gump, you can play the person who's slow, yeah. but also a war hero. Mm-hmm. You can play the person who doesn't function like you know normal people do, but still can count cards and therefore cheat systems and yeah. you know. But when it comes to playing a character who's completely 
I wouldn't say helpless, but I can't think of a better word. Um, a person who needs support yeah, to function they, they in can't society. Be, they can't be independent. Yeah. They're, they're, they're a dependent, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you play that character as you're playing a war hero or mm. you know, a person who's going to go... The, the issue with this movie is, is in comparison to the, um, the Nicolas Cage um, comparison here, is you have, um, you know, they're both about fans being obsessed. Yeah. The difference is, is that the tonal change mm-hmm. between being an obsessed fan, um, you know, where you take the, um, the weight of massive talent and then you find that um, Pedro Pascal's character is supposed to be um, in a cartel and there's supposed to be dirty money coming in yeah. and he's supposed to be a bad guy and he's supposed to have kidnapped the president um, or the person who's running against the the corrupt politician's daughter yeah. and, you know, the CIA are involved and they require Nicolas Cage to help them and you're like, Nicolas Cage is the hero in the story. Yeah. He's the hero. The problem with the fanatic was... There's no hero. There's no hero. Because Hunter... Hunter, is, who's the, the supposed to be Fred Durst, who yeah. is the writer, writer and director of this, is a piece of shit. He's just horrible. He's just constantly horrible throughout it. Um, I mean, there's a point where um, he comes home with his son and finds um, Moose, the main character, standing outside his gate, and he like sends his son inside, and then he lays down boundaries. And I was like, okay, good. So they're yeah. doing this because the. This is only the second time we've met him because the first time he had just had an argument with his ex-wife and, and Moose had come out and was not respecting boundaries. Yeah. So I was like, I kind of get why he's an asshole in that scenario. And then in this scenario, he is like setting boundaries. And I was like, okay, good. So they are going to have him be reasonable. But then, nope. he just, then he just like is a total... He just becomes very aggressive all of a sudden. Yeah. And with no like nothing to spark it. Um. And then that's supposed to be, you know, the moment that sets Moose off and turns him into, like, a weirdo murderer guy. Um, and I think the word, murderer, the weird murdering aspect of his personality was always there. Um, you can see it a lot with he's a character that's supposed to be portrayed as constantly being abused. Yes. And it's just him getting to a point where he's, like, the kid that's always bullied at school, eventually he's going to take a swing and knock out the person who, and then he'll get yeah. suspended so, and the bully won't get in trouble. And it's, that's the kind of mentality they're going for. hundred percent. I think you are giving them way too, too much, much credit, credit because I think that is what they intended to do, but it's not the film they've made. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think everything you're describing is what the vision was for this movie, 100%. but it is badly yeah. written, badly acted. Badly edited. Badly directed. Uh, badly directed. Um, I feel like an asshole now. I'm, s- I'm sorry to Fred Durst, I guess. For Why? Me. I don't know. I just feel like I was really mean just there. Um, but now all I can think about is that fridge magnet. Yeah. The, uh, you, if you... The one you hit in my locker when yeah. you hit a crush on me. Don't tell everyone that. <laughs> People can't know I had a crush on you. Um... We, yeah, it's a it's a fridge magnet that my my old um flatmate had like, like five hundred of yeah, yeah. I think maybe it was two hundred and fifty but it was like he wanted to order this fridge magnet and ended up getting it in bulk because it was the only way he could get it printed, and it's a picture of Fred Durst um and it says um is it you if 
sorry, is it you don't deserve me at my at, no, it's if if you can't handle me at my durst, you don't deserve me at my friendst. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I love. Uh, <laughs> and I think we've still, we've got that on the fridge. That's on our fridge. It's yeah. on our fridge, yeah. It's, it's more on our fridge because of the symbology for our relationship rather than the actual <laughs> quality of the fridge magnet. Yeah, I um, like it though. Yeah, so, I, I so, know you do. So there we go. So so for our Durst, we do have a fridge magnet of you, yeah. even though we're saying mean things about your movies. Um, uh, <laughs> the, problem, the problem with this movie... Is, yeah, the, the tone is just very, very confusing mm. for the audience member. Yep. Because, yeah, like I said, you, there's, no, there's no person you can get behind. Because, one, you have John Travolta playing somebody on the spectrum, which unless you've grown up with somebody in your life um, that's on the spectrum or you're on the spectrum yourself, yep. you don't understand what it's like to try and, I wouldn't say deal, but, you know, that's you interacting with these people in a social or a professional manner can be difficult when you don't understand. Yeah. The problem is, is he's not the worst case because there are non-functioning people on the spectrum that Mm -hmm. cannot, they cannot be left to their own devices. I mean, it is a spectrum. Yeah. You know. That's, yeah. Um, So some people, you know... Can, can function quite well in society. Yeah. Some people absolutely cannot and need, need assistance 24-7, essentially. Yeah. It's, um, it's just... It's, it's, it reminds me of um, that Sia movie, Music, the one mm-hmm. I was telling you about. Yeah. Where it's just like you taking, like, oh, we're going to get one person's opinion on, like... And I understand it. Like, John Travolta's son had autism. And yep. was he was, you know, trying to... I don't know, bring spotlight to it, but it was mm-hmm. just, wow, there's the mark, and that's where it landed, yeah. buddy. It's... And, and what's... The weirdest thing about it is that he's really proud of the movie, and he loves it. Um, and that's the strange thing about me. Because I would have thought, you know, if he has... You know, because he clearly... He obviously has a lot of love for people on the spectrum, and he's trying to show that. Um, but I would have thought maybe then he'd look at the final cut of the film and go, oh, God, they've totally messed up that message, you know? Yeah. Or, uh, but no, he loves it, so I don't understand. Yeah, like I said his earlier, perspective. Just, yeah, it's just, <laughs> just very bizarre. I just don't get it. Um, so I don't want to talk much about um, the unbearable weight of massive talent because it's just such a good movie. It's so good. It's Everything so good. about it is fantastic. <laughs> like the the first act, uh, the lead up. Um, you know his. John Travolta, uh, John Travolta, gee, but... Um, this is the thing, it's Nicholas the, it's the ca- yeah, yeah. Castro Troy and... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> John Cage, Nicholas Travolta. Um, <laughs> there's... The first act is fantastic, the lead-up, this, you know, him, you know, making fun of the fact that he had financial issues, or has financial issues. Yeah. Um, his relationship with his daughter, relationship with his ex-wife, the fact that, you know, his his manager is not a yes man, but sort of a, like, he's blowing smoke up his ass, played by Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're back. Not that we ever left. Yeah. It's like the yeah. running, Not like, that we went every, anywhere. Anywhere, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so we're um, back. Not that we went anywhere. It just, like, wow. Um, 
<laughs> having this moment of like the the scene, the tonal scene for the movie, like despite the third act, which just goes completely Nicolas Cage. Um, <laughs> he goes full cage. <laughs> he goes full cage in the third act. The first act where he turns up and he's jet lagged and he's hungover and he's like. The CIA see him at the airport and they're like, this Nicholas fucking cage, why is he here? <laughs> yeah. Why is he here in Spain to see this cartel member? Yeah. Um, it's the sequence where he's talking to Neil Patrick Harris's character and he has no idea the person who's paid him a million dollars to come to his birthday party is... Not that, you know, and the script's just been, like, accepted by his... Oh, that's, that's the other thing. There's a running script mm. in the movie. It's the plot within the plot within the plot. Yeah. Um, and he has no idea. He's no idea who Pedro Pascal's character looks like. Harvey, yeah. He doesn't know who Harvey is. Yeah. And it's the sequence where he gets off the the jet the the private boat yeah. after he's been taken from his private plane at the airport and picked up and then you know he doesn't know that Harvey's the one driving the boat and he's on the phone yeah. and he's talking shit about him yeah. and then he gets off and he says do you know if I he wants me to blow him or watch him fuck my, his wife or watch me fuck his wife and he's just like do you know anything about him and he's like I'm I'm Harvey and he's <laughs> like and he does the, the great like one hand flat, one hand fist, like salute, bow, yeah. Nicholas Cage. Or is it Nick Cage? He just yeah. says Nick Cage. Nick and he's just like, Harvey, back at him. <laughs> and it's just that that's such a lead up to that because it's just that he's playing himself, playing himself. Mm. That's the only way I can put it. Yes, uh, yeah, 100%. When he's, because that's his whole thing is that he is, you know, he's taking this birthday party gig as a role yeah right you know even though there's no filming going on yeah. he's like so he's going there so he, when he's on the boat and he thinks he's around like the help yeah he's just himself yeah but then as soon as he realizes this is the guy that i'm that i'm doing the gig for he turns on a performance yeah and becomes you know nick cage rather than like nicholas cage um can we talk about nicky yes yes so <laughs> I don't know if this is true for him mm -hmm. because he is one of the great actors. And I, I know there are a lot of people like, no, who should? But you have to look at it as there's a massive difference between... Um, this has come up from the, the, the trial that we were talking about earlier, but I right. won't mention yep. because it's irrelevant. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Um, there is a difference between someone who can act on stage and mm -hmm. there's a person who there's a difference between that person and a person who acts on screen. Person who acts on stage has one take and the take is going forever and they get it right the first time because they dedicate so much to it. Versus a person who act, act who's an actor on screen and you get performances that take 17 different types of direction from the director mm -hmm. and 50 takes to get one scene that's 30 seconds long. Uh, it shows a lot back in what made me fall in love with science fiction, which was Star Trek and the fact that they were stage actors and that's because their performances are 110%. Right. And it shows, and it was the over-enthusiastic, is the same with... Um, uh, Patrick Stewart's performances mm -hmm. in 
uh, next generation because he is he is on. Yep. When the camera is on him, he is on stage. The spotlight is on him. He's going to talk to those Romulans like they are 5,000 people. Yeah. I mean, I've heard about this from, like, a smaller actor's perspective. Yeah. Um, because my, my brother, brother, my older brother, is yeah. a stage actor primarily. Um, and there's a lot of physicality in stage yeah. acting. And then he he's done a few short films. And I remember him talking to me about how um, much restraint you have to have to be, like, very subtle in your movements and in your expression or whatever. Because when you're on stage... You need the people at the back, back of the yeah. room able to read what your emotions are. Whereas when you're on screen and there's a close-up, yeah. it has to be so subtle. Um, otherwise, it looks cartoonish. And sometimes that's what people go for. Yeah. But it's, you know, depends on... And I think, the, my rounding out my point here, mm-hmm. um, I think Nicolas Cage is somewhere in between. Yep. Where it is this completely insane, over-the-top... But it's so subtle that if you're not watching, you miss it. Mm. And I think the perfect example for me um, of why I love his acting is when in in Face Off, which is mentioned in um, A Battle Word of Massive Talent. It's not just mentioned in it. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, it plays a huge part huge in it. Huge role. <laughs> um, Tarby's first favourite meal. Um, third being Pedditing 2. Um, the... The, ins- the the sequence where he arrives at um, Caster Troy's friend's place mm-hmm. and he does drugs. Yeah. And it so, has that... So this is Nicolas Cage playing John Travolta's, Travolta's character playing Nicolas Cage's character. Yeah. yeah. For people who haven't seen Face Off. Which, why? Watch Face Off. I yeah, love yeah. Face Off. We've, we've watched that together, even though we've obviously both seen it separately multiple times and then we were like let's watch face off together this and we probably will again there's some fantastic sequences in that movie but it's his reactions and his face and his expression is someone who's clearly losing their fucking mind mm. and also on drugs and also trying to pretend and keep it all together and yes. it is such like, you know, you can laugh about all the memes of not the bees and, you know... Which they and, laugh at in yeah. Merwin, that's not true. And for me, we laugh about it all the time and quoting um, Peggy Sue Got Married and oh, just yeah. being like, Ma, Ma Wang! Um, but... Which the long-term listeners of the podcast yeah, are yeah, also aware of. Yeah. This, uh, is, this is our second time covering this page. <laughs> but just for me, that... It's just so, it's the perfect kind of blend of over-the-top subtle that Mm. only he does that well. Yeah. Versus John Travolta's performance as Moose is... Oh, I thought you were going to say in face-off. I thought we were going about... No, no, no. (laughs) John Travolta... I do like John Travolta's performance in face-off. I'll just say that. But anyway, back to this. But, But... the problem with Face Off is that in my mind, I think of a lot of Nicolas Cage's role as John Travolta because Nicolas Cage is doing it so well that I think that that's John Travolta acting in Nicolas Cage's body, which is not physically possible. Completely off subject, but on the same line of <laughs> John Travolta playing the bad guy. Have you seen Broken Arrow? Yes, yes. His performance in Broken Arrow is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um there's a sequence in that movie that always cracks me up every time I watch it because it's just like, what was he thinking? 
um, how did the director, oh, I guess the director was just like, yeah, well done, John. Like, cool. Move on. <laughs> you're good, you're good. Um, yes, yeah. I, but I mean, this is, this like stuff is why we've paired these two movies because, yeah. you know, Don Travolta and Nicolas Cage are both these kind of crazy actors. Yeah. Anyway. Just the, I understand when you, when you see, um, you know, an educational video about people on the spectrum. Um, when they are quite heavily autistic and they do, there's quite a lot of physical tics that they have. It's just, they played it too hard. Mm-hmm. It wasn't subtle. You couldn't have, it wasn't a normal world where his character had autism. It was a, you know, a fake imaginary world, a sub-reality, a you know, multiverse version of yeah. Earth where he has autism. Yeah, it and was, that wasn't was, realistic. And that was the issue that I had with the, the movie, the people's reactions to basically everything that was happening was just just dialed up just slightly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the um, two references to Quentin Tarantino's work one, when he just walks in and the guy's like, chocolate mousse! And he's like, can't talk long, have to poo. Yeah. As a reference to his character from Pulp Fiction. Yeah. And then he references his um, fictional brother, yeah. Mr. Bond, yeah. in Reservoir Dogs. And I was like, ah, you get that reference because you've seen that movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's my favourite Tarantino movie. Yeah. We have to watch um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Eventually. We'll yeah. get there. Yeah. Um, not related to the podcast, just, just in general. Yep. The, yeah, it's just this weird, it's not a real, it's not real life. Like, you yeah. can take Unbearable Away from Earth Talent and you can see there's parts of it that are movie-esque. Mm-hmm. Like, the CIA recruiting Nicolas Cage to help them. Yeah. Um... But it's all played for laughs. Yes. Whereas in The Fanatic, you're supposed to be able to, like, see this as a person and be like, oh, he's struggling, or, he's, yeah, you know, yeah. um, th- this is how this can happen. And no. No, no. Just, like you said, Hunter Dunbar's character, based on, roughly, on Fred Thurst's experience with a fan, yeah. it's like, okay, did you do those things when he approached you? You have somebody who's approached you... He's waited in line to get your signature mm-hmm. on a piece of memorabilia in yeah. a signing you're doing. Yeah, and he's clearly neurodivergent. You know, yeah. he's not neurotypical. There's some, there's something. You and don't know whether it's a mental illness or a disability or what. You know. Yeah. What you know, is. if your ex-wife has turned up and been like, "Hey, you have to take the kid. I want to get, get, you know, go have a date." Mm-hmm. Um, your reaction to one of your fans turning up being like, "Hey, I was next in line. What's happening?" Just be like, "Hey, man, like, give me ten minutes. I'll be back." Yeah. Like, you know, that's, it's an interesting um, dynamic because a lot of celebrities talk about New Zealanders mm-hmm. when they come to New Zealand. Yeah. Um, and the way New Zealanders treat celebrities. Which is that they pretend they don't exist. Yeah. We, we will, uh, like, and I've, done it, I've done it to... That's why I fit in here, because um, that's how I treat celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've met a couple of people in my life um, who are celebrities and people that have been important to me. But... Because they're important to me, I therefore respect their, mm-hmm. you know, their life. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not standing at friggin' airports or outside of hotel rooms mm-hmm. like a certain person we know. 
Um, Who listens to the podcast? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, because it's 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 just a, it's a Kiwi thing. It's like, hey, that person's out yeah. having dinner. Cool. Like, yeah. I'll give them a nod and be like, hey, you know. No, hundred percent. I'm the same. Um, I don't know. I'm not, not going to name drop, but I was in a. I'm going to be as vague as possible because I don't want people who know the person or you know, know the non-celebrity person I'm talking about to to know what I'm talking about. Uh, but I was in. I just don't want anyone to be offended. Okay. I was in a place with some people. Um, Vague, yeah. One, one of which is someone I'm very close to, and then the others were uh, friends of theirs. Okay. And I saw a celebrity, a celebrity couple at the time. They're yeah. no longer a couple, but I saw a celebrity couple, and I'm just going about their day in this place. And I was like, oh, cool. Um, and then because there's like a whole lot of people around, I wasn't going to say like, hey, did you see, you know, hmm. in, in front of people, because I didn't want to ruin their day. And then we went into like a shop or something, and I was like... Funny, I just saw, you know, so-and-so out there. And it turned out that one of the friends of the person that I'm close with was, like, obsessed with one of those people. And they were like, where are they? You need to take me to them. I need to see them, bring them. And I was like, no, they're just, like, on a date in a regular place. Like, yeah. just leave them alone. Like, <laughs> But, um... You know, it surprised me that that was someone's reaction. That's someone that I knew, you yeah. know, because, you know, I hadn't said it in a pu more public place because I was afraid someone would overhear and I'd, you know, ruin someone's day by association. But then I was like, oh, geez, this is, I have never been faced with, like, a person I know being like... like yeah. yeah, snapping and being like, I need to go stalk that person. I need to go to that. Because yeah, yeah. I've had people, to, you know, there's actors and stuff that I, like, am a huge fan of. And I've had people say to me, like, oh, what if you saw Sam Rockwell walking down the street, whatever. Gary and I'm Oldman. like, I would, yeah, Gary Oldman yeah. comes up a lot. And it's like, I would probably try not to make eye contact and, like, w move away from them. <laughs> you know, I, w I would be like, I would go, like, to ex extreme heights to avoid going near them because I so much don't want to interrupt them. Um you know, as someone who lives in Wellington, obviously I've seen Jermaine Clement around. Yeah. No one hasn't. Everyone's seen Jermaine Clement around, but I saw him, you know, he was behind me in a queue for some dumplings at a at a food stall. And I was like, I went and sat down. It's like, oh, weird, Jermaine Clement was there. But I didn't yeah. go like, oh, hey, Jermaine. You know? yeah. he, I don't think he would have cared if I did. No. But um, why would I? Yeah. You know? If, if a celebrity, you know, if I meet... I actually, I was gonna say, if I meet a celebrity like in a place where they are there to do something, um, fine. But actually, I've avoided that as well because I went to see Reese Darby in the um the Opera House once, and um, when at the end of the show they announced that he was gonna sign tickets and things outside if people wanted to line up, and I got so anxious I was like I can't do that I can't like go up and speak to Reese Darby I need to leave <laughs> immediately I need to get out of this bit and I was like. Like, I, I had to walk past the queue to get out, and I was like, oh, my God, what if he comes out and I'm still in the room? Like, I need to go. So, I don't know. It's like, I'm just, I just can't do it. Um, but so, I, you yeah. do it out of social anxiety. <laughs> I do it out of respect. No, it's it is. the same thing. <laughs> I do do it out of respect, but, like, but, yeah, but even in that scenario, I felt very anxious. But, I mean, I really wanted to meet... The time that I saw Gonzo in real life, I really wanted to meet and go up and talk to him. But then it was... The, um, his 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 friend, the puppet here, was... Uh, Dave Gulls was was sick, and he didn't want to give anyone a cold. So he said he wouldn't be 
median or something. Wow, we have really gone off track. Uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah, we've gone off track onto me being a fan, yeah, <laughs> obsessed yeah, yeah. fan. Uh, specifically for Gonzo, the but, Muppet. But I think our point still <laughs> remains the same. This, it's, he's ill. He's actually ill. Yes. And the problem is, is that Hunter's character, mm-hmm. um, Fred Durst's character Hunter, who's not played by Fred Durst, thank God, um, no, he's, he's played by Casper the Friendly Ghost. Yeah. Devin Sawa. Sawa? Devin Sawa. It's... They're just as bad as each other. Yeah, so it's... I mean, on the one hand, Hunter doesn't owe anything to this guy. Correct. You know? He doesn't need to be the nicest guy to him. Or, you know, and he is crossing boundaries. Yes. But he also is just, like, needlessly aggressive. Yeah. Um, and he's just a shitty person. Um... And I don't think we can say it's Hunter's fault that Moose becomes what he becomes, but um, I do think that Moose is triggered in some way by the uh, experience, the negative experience he has, because he's obviously hyped up in his mind that this guy is his idol, and they're gonna be, you know, he's been practicing what he's yeah, gonna say yeah, to yeah. him, and uh, which is a social anxiety thing, um, and I think just a general neurodivergent thing that people who who are who are not you know, of the norm or whatever, um, worry more about how they come across. Yeah. I mean, we both experienced this. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, in his mind, he had to be able to get up there and, and talk to him and get, ask him to sign something. He had to convince himself that it was going to be a positive interaction. Yeah. And then it was. Cause you see that in scenes in the movie where he's like supposed to be meeting Hunter at some party yeah. That he's breaking into. The whole weird, I don't know what bolt cutters are, sequence was just bizarre with his interaction with Leah, who's basically enabling him. Yeah, so Leah is his friend. Who's who like is, a professional paparazzi. Yeah, so she's paparazzi and a freelance photographer because we see her, she's official official photographer at this party, but yeah. she also is, you know, she gets her money mostly from being a paparazzo. Um, and... Um, for some reason, she narrates over the film. Yeah, that was which added nothing to it. They could have just not do that. I feel like they it, made the film and edited it, and then went, "Oh, it it doesn't read well. Let's throw some narration over it." But that also, I think the narration changes the tone of the movie from my point of view, anyway, because oh, really? it just comes off as because the first line is "L.A. is a sh- city of bullshitters." Yes. And it sets the entire tone up that everyone's full of shit, mm-hmm. including her, yeah. including Moose, yeah. who's a person who's living on the spectrum and obsessed with an actor. Yeah. An actor who yeah. is a piece of shit, as we find out in the movie, mm-hmm. where he's been taking sexual advantage of his, like, housekeeper. Yes. Um, and... The weird interaction he had with his groundskeeper was also weird, which came back later in the movie. Yeah. Um, it's just... There, there's some interesting sequences in this, and it just... It's really off-putting, because I know people... Like, you know, I used to work with someone who was um, um, way higher on the spectrum than most people. Mm-hmm. Uh, this wasn't for years. It's been years now. But they were obsessed with something, not a person, right? They yeah. were obsessed a, with something. It's a special interest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and 
it's really interesting watching a portrayal of somebody like that, knowing what they're like professionally, mm-hmm. and then having them like literally murder somebody yeah. in this movie. And just being like, oh, that's a nosebleed. Those are really bad. You should get some paper towels for that. Yeah. Like, that whole sequence where, where Moose murders the, the housekeeper when he's, when he's when she's caught holding his letter that he's just dumped yeah. in the backyard like a day earlier is... Like the tonal shift at that yeah. point in the movie is like, oh, well, he's... You know, that's it. Um, that's yeah. it for everything. They, I think they do... This is going to sound stupid because the writing is terrible to begin with, but I think they do the character of Moose a disservice because yeah. they set him up as a character who has a special interest in horror films and filmmaking, um, and then, you know, and he, you can see there's a level of intelligence, but then they later on are like, oh no, because he is on the autism spectrum, he's stupid and he doesn't understand what death is. Yeah. And then later on they have him... You know, suddenly realize that um, Hunter is an asshole, and then he's like, he's just pretending. He's just pretending in all these movies, and it's like, no. If a guy, if his special interest is filmmaking, yeah. and he's obsessed with how the films are made, like we have the interaction with the other actress where yeah. he's saying, you know, I love you in this film and this film. Yeah. You're really good in the final girl trope. I think you should do more horror. You know, yeah. he's got a real sense of, you know, he really knows about film and about how filmmaking works and you know and then to suddenly have him be like oh what is acting i didn't know it was fake yeah um it's ridiculous and then you know the scene where he suddenly there's a cut from nowhere and he suddenly hunter is tied up and gagged in his bedroom and he's enacting horror films um and he's like see I, i fooled you i'm an actor it's like that's he wouldn't i mean from I want to rewrite the movie and make his character better. <laughs> I want to rewrite the movie and burn it and never happen. Um, yeah, the the you sort of have this moment of like, oh, okay, maybe he is just misunderstood, and maybe he is being taken advantage of by Aaron, who's the guy at the the collector's the store. store. Yeah. Maybe he is being um, enabled by Leah. Yeah. Maybe he is being abused by Todd and doesn't deserve it. Yeah. Um, and then he kills the... But he goes into an instant murderous rage. Yeah. And just smashes her head into a fish... Um, what is it? Um, bird bath. Yeah. And then doesn't understand what being dead is. Yeah. Even though he's got no family. So therefore, unless he was a like a foster child from when he was little and doesn't remember he had some form of family at one point yeah never explained in the movie um well you see a a few shots of him as a child and dealing with what we presume is his mother's promiscuity by just focusing in on horror films you know it's his like origin story i guess which is takes place while hunter's asleep in his house and he's just sitting on the couch next to it but that's just yeah yeah but yeah, just after he murders the, the his um, hunter's assistant or cleaning lady or whatever housekeeper, whatever she is, because it's not explained. Yeah. Um. It's just that's it. That's it for him. Like that's just it's it's over. You you. There's no redeeming qualities. He's a murderer who has no remorse for it. He's yeah. a, a, that's social um social no what's the word. Um, 
sociopathy? Yeah. Yeah. Or psychopathy? One of yeah. No, okay. sociopathy. I yeah. Like when you have no remorse. No remorse. Else. Yeah. And you literally just can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And like you know the the rage outbursts uh, outbursts that most mo- that blah, blah, that Moose has repetitively in certain scenes you know with Leah, with um, Todd. And you know this the sequence where he's just just the whole being under his son's bed. Yeah. So the whole that that whole sequence really annoyed me because he. When he when he murders uh, the housekeeper or whatever she is, Dora, it seems to be an accident. Yeah. Um. But then he just decides to go into the house, and well, then and he... the whole like no lasers, no alarm. It's like yeah, what? yeah, and it's but it's really weird because he like he checks out what's in the fridge and the freezer, and he checks the bathroom and looks at all the pills and things, and he uses his toothbrush. And there's no motivation for any of that. Nothing about him. So the bit where he takes the child's toy, I kind of understand. Yeah. Because he's a collector. We've set him up as a guy who collects movie memorabilia. And I guess now he's collecting memorabilia from this guy's life to some extent. But there's no reason for him to be checking the fridge. There's no reason for him to be reading the prescription on the pills. There's no yeah. reason for him to be using the toothbrush. And then if they're trying to set it up that he doesn't understand that he's killed someone and he doesn't understand that this is wrong, why does he hide? Yeah. Because if if he genuinely doesn't understand that this is bad, that he's doing things that are wrong, he wouldn't hide when he, when Hunter comes home, but he hides in the closet when Hunter comes home and yeah. doesn't come out until he falls asleep. Um, so it's just badly written. He has yeah. His motivations don't make sense, or he has no motivations that make any sense. Um, and it does a disservice to people who are on the autism spectrum. Or do have similar um, disabilities or illnesses. That's nonsense. Anyway, we sh- we haven't really compared movies, and we also haven't talked about the unbearable weight of methodology. Um, I think the best way to compare the movies is to compare the characters. Okay. So, um, obviously, in both cases, there's an actor involved, and in both cases, there's a fan involved. Yeah. And those are the main things. So the actor involved, uh, the big. I think the big difference. Or one of the big differences I find between the two movies um, is the wealth distribution. Because obviously in The Fanatic, you've got um, Moose is, you know, we don't know how he owns his home or lives in his home, but he is low on cash. He's borrowing from people. He lived, you know, he works as a street performer and doesn't earn very much um, versus then the guy that he idolizes lives in a mansion, is very wealthy, you know, um, he's a big Hollywood star. Yeah. In The Unbearable Weight of Max Talent, you have Nicolas Cage playing a fictional version of Nick Cage. Yeah. Um, but he's not massively wealthy. He's separated or divorced. Is it, can't remember, did they say they I were divorced? I think it's separated, yeah. Yeah, so separated from his wife. She's got the house or whatever. So he's living in a hotel room and at the point where he decides he's going to go take this offer of a million dollars to go to this birthday party, it's because... Um, he, he, hasn't, he hasn't paid his hotel bill and he owes $600,000 yes. to the hotel and yeah. blocked him out. So yeah. he's, been, he's been living in this hotel, but he doesn't have the money to pay for it. He's been doing these auditions and, like, we, you can, we see him do it or, or, you know, have lunch with a director where he yeah. gets, like, so stressed about it that he just, like, starts, like, performing on the spot, at, you know, while the guy's trying to get into his car. Um, you know, he's desperate for a job, desperate for, for income. He is not getting anything. 
and um, he's living in a hotel that he can't afford and they've cut him off and he's homeless. Yeah. So at this point where he decides he's going to go to this birthday party, he is homeless. And the fan in this case can afford to spend a million dollars to, to yeah. pay Nick Cage to come over and then also pay for the private jet and the private boat. And he owns, you know, a massive estate compound, on this. Yeah. yeah, massive compound on this island. Um, and, you know, and he is just... And he has a sh- whole Nick Cage museum, Which essentially. Which you already find out later, yeah. Yeah. So he is... So he's also a collector, like yeah. um, Moose is, but he can afford it. He's got, like, the actual guns from Face, Face Off. Off and, you know, the actual chainsaw from Mandy, whereas yeah. um, Moose is, is getting little bits and pieces and whatever he can spend, a, you know, a couple hundred bucks on. Um, so there's a massive difference in the weight and the wealth distribution between the two movies yeah um which then puts a you know it's a different perspective on the power dynamic but i think in both movies um the fan kind of does have more power um which is the quote they quote themselves that really annoyed me in the fanatic it opens with a quote but the quote is from hunter dunbar and, the, and then he says it later in the movie. Yeah. So the quote that they put at the beginning of the movie is a quote from their own movie. Yeah. Which is bizarre. It makes no sense. Um, and it's just very strange. But, um, yeah, so in both cases, I guess largely because of criminal activity, they hold, the fan holds all the cards. Yeah. Because in Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, we think that... Uh, Javi is has got, got this you know girl kidnapped and Nick Cage is then trying to you know bond with him so he can figure out where he might have put her yeah um and he you know trying to help but like the whole time he knows like if he's found out he's dead yeah and then in the fanatic you've got obviously Moose decides to you know he knows where he lives and he knows all about him and you know you know whereas you know the same can't be said the other way around. Um, and then you get that scene, and he knows that he takes sleeping pills. So yeah. then you get that scene where he ties him up while he's asleep with all this, with this like endless amount of elastic rope that he has for some reason. Um, and you know, and there's just yeah. So there's interesting power dynamics in both. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. There's 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 definitely similarities and differences in the characters because I think. Um, the children are kind of important because obviously in Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, there's a huge amount of emphasis on how difficult Nick Cage finds it to um, connect with his daughter, relate to his daughter. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's it's brought up over and over and over again that he's trying to bond with her, but like by showing her things about him and things that he likes, whatever, and never actually listening to her and what she yeah. likes. And that evolves then over the course of the movie and is they have a much better relationship at the end in the fanatic the when so things spiral from a moment where moose goes to it or breaks into a party that he believes hunter is going to be at with the help of his friend leah but hunter isn't there because he's at his son's school play yeah so from that moment i was like oh we're getting a different take here where this guy is you know really involved in his son's life yeah but then you find out he also is separated or divorced, um, and you know he doesn't want to take the kid when the wife shows up or the you know ex wife shows up with him, um, and then you know it's just just weird 
stuff like because you know he's obviously in the house with them and stuff and um then when when hunter is all tied up he just says like please just don't hurt my son so like he is still thinking about it but i yeah. feel like he's not as involved in his life as we are led to believe from that opening bit yeah um so i think they're both to some extent are trying but not necessarily succeeding at connecting with their kids yeah um and in both cases obviously then you know their kids are brought into the scenario because in unbearable weight of nasa talent um javi flies the ex-wife and yeah. the daughter to the island and you know and and it, it's wonderful misunderstandings because they have come thinking that nick cage is in trouble when he's not javi is genuinely just trying to patch up this relationship between father and daughter, and Nick Cage thinks, thinks that he's an evil cartel member who's like yeah, he thinks, got his family. Exactly, yeah. he thinks he's an evil cartel member, and he thinks that he's figured out that Nick is working for the CIA, yeah. and he's like, "Holy shit, he's brought my family here, yeah. and he's gonna kill them," or you know, um, and then his daughter gets kidnapped by the actual cartel people. The yeah, the family, the family issue that I had with Hunter. Mm-hmm was yeah like you said the his um his interactions with his son were weird yeah it's just it's it's such an interesting interesting way of having a um having that that vast differences um the main point that i'd like to make is i think nicholas cage's nicholas cage is a much better father because he's trying to make his daughter watch a great movie, mm. um, the uh, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Yeah. yeah. Versus. Have Nate... you seen that? Yes, I okay. have. It's on the cloud. Oh, okay. Um, um, There's also, I think, the first episode of um, Random Horror Foot Podcast number nine. Oh, okay. Which is why I got into it in yeah, the first place. I watched it in college. Um, versus Hunter, who's a terrible parent because he makes his son listen to Limp Bizkit. <laughs> I did like that Fred Durst wrote his characters as fans of himself. It's just that's uh. um yeah that's that's fun um yeah you, you want a little bit of biscuit you want some biscuit like what <laughs> there's also um there also is plot points or kind of plot points in both so obviously we have Javi in in wherever way to match talent is like wants. Nick Cage to resolve his relationship with his daughter and he flies her over and he tries to get them having a conversation and he wants them to have a better relationship and then they try to do that in the fan the fanatic as well where they just um he's just like you kid there's no ice cream in your freezer kids love ice cream you he'll be happy if you get ice cream and that's it when the hell was he so there's it's a sequence where he's rummaging through his stuff and he takes something out of the fridge and I'm sure it's like some form of relish because it looks like quite an art, to, like a yeah. You know, I don't know what it was, but he's complaining that it's not or, sweet. Or he- hexagonal jar with a steel lid, and that to me in my mind is, is like some form of relish. Yeah, like, or some pickled something. Yeah, yeah. And he's just like Hunter's tied up in the bed, mm-hmm. and he's done the Freddy moment where he puts on the mask and runs in and stabs her, and then says, "You you did better than." Um, Jamie, Jamie Lee, Lee Curtis, Curtis, which is a completely different franchise, but okay. <laughs> um, and then just like is feeding him via his fingers like some sort of relish, and it's just like it's not sweet. It's not sweet. It yeah. has to be. It's not a treat if it's not sweet. And you're like, uh, like I know what's gonna happen to you next, and you 
fucking deserve it. Like, <laughs> fucking crazy person. Yeah. And that's the problem. He's He devolves from pe- a person who has a special interest, who's mm-hmm. on the spectrum, to literally being an insane person. Yep. And it's a sequence where he, like what we said, where he tells the, the Dora. Yeah. And that's it. Like, it's just, the movie's He's just gone. He's just gone. Snapped. Yeah. Um, we've talked a lot about the relationship between Hunter and Moose. Can we talk for a second about the relationship between Harvey and Nick? Because it's, it's fantastic. It's beautiful. It's like, I I was thinking, uh, there was like, a, I think a tweet or something I saw recently that was like, you know, name a... Name an on-screen name a, an on-screen pair of actors that have like unbelievable chemistry, and I was like, I don't know, I can't think of any. And then, but I'm like, that's it. Yeah. Nick Nicholas Cage and Pedro Pascal yeah. have unbelievable chemistry. chemistry. They're so good together, and it's fantastic because it's this, it's like this real like romantic bromance story. Yeah. Of um. The wall sequence to me was just the yes. pinnacle. Yes. So the so the whole the whole subplot that develops their relationship is that Javi has written a screenplay, um, and Nick he wants Nick Cage to read it and to act in it, and what Nick, and then Nick Cage you know has to make an excuse to stay there longer than the birthday, so yeah. he agrees to help Harvey with the screenplay. No, what he what he says is he's read it, it's brilliant, and then he says you want to act in it. And he's like, no, I want to make a, I want to make your next movie. So then they start writing a new movie together. You don't remember this? No, I thought he was going to... He said, I'm staying to help you work on it. No, he's going to work on... They're working on a whole separate new movie. Okay. This is different well, from we're, the script he's in. We're going to have to agree to disagree. No, because this is the whole point. Is that they, they're right. They're like... They have to come up with what the concept for their movie is going to be. And that's when they've... Uh, they're, they're like, you know, it's going to be... Uh, a paranoid thriller. And yeah. then they are like super paranoid. That's because they're on drugs. <laughs> they're on drugs and they're super paranoid and super high and they they think that these random people are watching them and then they freak out about it and they're like running and they're like trying to help each other over the wall. The wall sequence is just so fantastic. It's so like, good. Us describing it would just give yes. it a disservice. Yeah, like, you've got to you've got to watch this movie. Please watch this movie. Go see it in cinema if it's still in cinema. Go see it in cinema two or three times if you can. Um, get it on DVD or Blu-ray when it comes out. Um, find some way to watch this movie and watch Tweet this movie. Tweet at Nicolas Cage that we've suggested you do this. Yes, yes. When Nicolas Cage is not on social media, he does, he does not exist on social media. Yeah. Uh, Pedro Pascal might, though, so it should yeah. be him. Uh, the Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent has its own yeah, social media. Um, but, yeah, so it's it's... Fantastic, but they have such a good relationship, and as their relationship develops, they develop this you know thing together, and it reaches this culmination where Nick Cage is working for the CIA, and they think that Harvey has found out, mm. um, but they also think that Harvey is the leader of this cartel, which he's yeah. not. Uh, Harvey is. Do you really want to spoil the? Oh. I wouldn't spoil it. That's what I'm I saying. I don't want to spoil. It. Okay, I won't say what happens, but there's like. There is some kind of conflict, and but they both have developed such a strong friendship at this point that it that it causes even more like internal conflict yeah. in them. Um, so they have be- they they just become like fantastically closely bonded. Um, Versus the opposite of that, which yeah. is where um, Moose has all the power in that structure, and then 
he just lies his way out of it by making up this weird fantasy and the the, the, the physical tonal shift of the movie was weird as well. I kind of liked that. that. My favorite part of the Fnatic, my, literally the only part of the Fnatic I actually liked. It was when the screen went like pinkish? No, it's when it changes back. Oh, so yeah. it's, so it's, um, Hunter is talking to Moose and he's saying like, oh, we're going to do this acting technique together. Let's just picture things as like, as like me and you. And he describes the kind of relationship that Moose wants with him, which yeah. is the relationship that Nick Cage and uh, Javi have, yeah. um, which is that they're going to, you know, they're going to get together, they're going to go out, you know, for dinner to wherever he wants to go, they're going to get strawberry ice cream together, and then they're going to come back and watch his action movies together, and, they're, you know, um, and he's loving this, and he's like, but first you need to untie this, whatever, and it's the whole way through the sequence, um, it's the rose-tinted glasses, like, everything is pink and yeah. kind of fantastical, and then when he unties them, uh, he's like, oh, you know, he wants to shake his hand and then it cuts back to the dark tone and he headbutts him and then takes a shotgun off the wall or something and just shoots his hand off. Um, or shoots all the fingers off his hand. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, that is the best part of the movie. It's just that fantastic shift. But then after that, he becomes, uh, you know, he starts to have homicidal tendencies himself, Hunter, because from the second that um, Moose is disarmed and is trying to get away rather than trying to cause harm it will become a criminal act if he inflicts more harm on him yeah. whereas in that moment it was self-defense yeah um and he takes it beyond that and stabs him in the eye yeah. um and is planning to kill him and then suddenly realizes what he's doing and just kind of sends him out bleeding into the night where he could easily bleed to death because he's bleeding from his eye and his hand and he's yeah, yeah. There's, and there's a gardener who's all like it was him, officers, and they're like, we agree with you. Yeah, he's just, yeah. So he's like, one. At the end of the movie, um, because they've never mentioned, there's a dead body in his back garden for several days, days at this yeah. point, and no one has noticed it, mentioned And the only it. person who brings it up is Leah, in the narration. You're like, how the fuck does she know about yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So it's a bizarro, and then, yeah, so obviously the gardener has reported the housekeeper missing or something. Yeah. And when they show up, the police show up to question him. He's covered in blood and mm. whatever from his... And then he's taken off in handcuffs. So do the police think that he killed Dora? Probably. That's what I assume. Yeah. Um, is that she's gone missing. They've come... Her, they find her body. So you see them bringing the stretcher in yeah. to the, through the door. So they find her body. They find him well covered in blood. She's obviously been reported missing. And, and the gardener said there's some suspicious shit going on here. And that's what happened. They wouldn't stand up in court. Because one, you'd have Moose's DNA yeah. um, in the house. The whole stuff with the bed. Because the ropes would have still been there. Yeah. His fingers would have still been 100%. there. 100%. And this guy has got millions of dollars. Yeah. Presumably that he can afford a lawyer. So it I'm sure, you know, he's things went well. But it's just like, court, that's but... the like wrap up of the movie. And then it's just yeah. like... A weird draw. There's weird drawings throughout the entire movie, and then the, the ending is just Moose is a pirate. Yeah, because he lost his hand to his eye, and, and Leia is a guardian angel. Even and though like, she was enabling him and caused this all to happen. It's so bizarre. My favorite. So, so that, those drawings come up four times in the movie. One is right at the beginning, like the opening credits kind of sequence. Uh, one is that end bit. There's one in the middle that I can't remember what it's it was for. Choking Todd. Right, and then there's. The, the, the suicide. There's one where it's him bleeding, you know, it's him curl up in a ball bleeding, and that's when, like, he's. I can't remember what's happening before that because it's just something relatively normal. Yeah. And then there's that drawing, and then it does the cut to 
uh, Hunter thing. waking yeah. up, tied up, gagged in bed, and he's pretending to be dead on the floor, and then he's like, oh, I got you. Yeah. <laughs> so weird. Anyway, Fanatic, terrible movie. Don't recommend it. Don't watch it. We will probably watch it again and compare it to Joe, The Joker, um, which will be sad, but we'll do it, because we can talk more about the comparisons in plot that way, I think. Yeah. Uh, whereas this one, the comparison is in the premise and the types of characters. I yeah. think more, more. Yeah. Um, Any trivia you want to get into? Oh, I don't even remember. You don't I, even I for- forgot about trivia. I just was focused on these movies. Probably. I normally take down trivia, but I won't remember. Um, yeah, so, I, I mean, this, the trivia that I have about the fanatic is pretty st- standard. It's you know, um, John Travolta took the role t- as a tribute to his autistic son. Uh, the movie was reported as the worst movie opening of John Travolta's career. Not shocking. And then the third one I took down was just because it mentions New Zealand and it's not actually relevant to anything. But it was that when the movie was released on DVD in New Zealand, it was giving a restricted thirteen rating, and then it premiered on Sky Movies premiere in New Zealand, and they changed it to restricted eighteen. Because someone never watched it. The only piece of trivia I'd like to say is um, Devin played uh, Stan in the Eminem music video about being an obsessed fan, which is kind of circular. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. So he he played an obsessed fan, and then he played the guy whose fan is obsessed with him. Um, They did... Yeah, so my... I only have a couple of notes about um, Unbearable Weight of Master Talent. So, one of them we've already covered, which is Nick Cage wanted to be Harvey, which I think is hilarious. Um, Who would have played Nick Cage? Uh, well, I was, I'll, I'm going to read these notes, and then you can rant about something, and I'll find that out for you, because they did have people okay. in mind, and I've just, it's, I've, it's gone from my mind, okay. if I had thought about it. Um, at the end of Principal Photography, the whole cast were gifted pillows with Nicolas Cage's face on them, which he autographed. Them. The changey ones, where you rub it. I yeah. think so. Yeah. yeah, the one that they have, they have yeah, that in the yeah. movie. Um, I've also watched. There's a. I think I can't. I'm not gonna say who I watch which company. I think did the interview because I'll probably get it wrong. But there's an interview with the cast. Um, and it's the same one I was talking about before, where he where he talks about what he did, or where he talks about picturing Pedro Pascal's face. Um, and it was the actress who plays his daughter explained caging to him which is where people print out pictures of Nicolas Cage's face and just stick them around the place and he'd never heard of it and it was explained to him live on an interview about this movie which I thought was wonderful um so apparently they cut a sequence from the film where he reprises like he acts out scenes from Face Off, Con Air, Leaving Las Vegas and Gone in 60 Seconds and it was like a long black and white fight sequence between him and his younger self Okay. Um, and they cut that from the film because they thought it didn't it didn't quite fit. But here's the here's the kicker: it will be released on home media. So we've all got to watch the Blu-ray editions, the, the DVD, the <laughs> deleted scenes, a hundred percent. Um, speaking of that, I have I remembered another bit of trivia that I haven't written down, but it was from another interview. I've just watched a lot of the Nick Cage interviews recently. Shocking. Um, but it was um. The I think it's that same interview. Maybe everyone just watched this one interview. Maybe I'll stick it in the show notes or something. Um, the sequence where he's having a conversation with his younger self in his head, or whatever, yeah. and then Nick Nicky um stands up and kisses him on the mouth and is like, "Tell them Nick Cage smooch is good." Yeah, that was Nicholas Cage's idea. 
That wasn't in the script. <laughs> he asked them if they could put it in. Um, <laughs> because he said he wanted when they when they had this idea of having the two Nick Cages, he said he wanted to play it very Bugs Bunny, and that's what he would see Bugs Bunny yeah, doing in that yeah, situation. Makes sense. Um, so he wanted to amp that up. He was like, "You can't if you're gonna do this, you're gonna do this to the extreme." So he said he wanted to. He just wanted to make out with himself. He said this whole movie feels like making out with myself. So yeah. let's do it. So um. So that so the Nick Cage so yeah so I think the um, the director or the writer was like you know I've never been more happy to to bring in an actor's or thoughts on a on a thing. Did he play his younger self? Yes. Well, he did and he didn't. So they did it the same way they did in adaptation, um, where he shot they shot them all those scenes twice. So they had him and a double and him and a double. Oh okay. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah. So he did and he didn't. So there's there's parts of it where it's him and parts of it where it's not him. Essentially, yeah, they haven't done the same de aging as say uh, Tron Legacy. It's it's yeah. definitely better. Yeah, but it's like uncanny. Valley I think better. there's I think there's makeup to a certain extent and then a bit of CGI on top. Yeah, because I think they would have used probably the same technology they used. I think as the Irishman. Right, I they, haven't seen that. Oh, okay, they they did some pretty insane. Um, de aging for that via CGI and yeah, like you said, band and makeup. So they overemphasize making the person look physically younger with makeup, and then use CGI to make it look real. And obviously, when you've got like actors like Nicolas Cage and the the actors that are in The Irishman, it's very easy to get references. Yeah. Yeah. So they've got so they had two actors that they had in mind to play Nick Cage if he absolutely refused to do it. Yeah. Christian Bale or Daniel Day Lewis. So can you imagine Nick Cage playing Harvey and Daniel Day Lewis playing Nick Cage? No, I can't imagine that. that, that <laughs> I'm trying to picture it and it hurts my brain. Um because that's that's the most insane. Yeah, yeah. You haven't seen any Daniel Day Lewis, right? No, I think I still haven't seen him acting in anything. Which is, every, I'm going to now. Everyone's going to tweet at us about how I haven't seen Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> it's. I I agree with you. It is very difficult in our modern day to watch a three hour long movie, even though we just watched two, two and a half. Well, one's ninety one was two hours. And then record this. But at the same time, that was over multiple days. Yeah. Spoilers behind the scenes. But I also... But it's not that I refuse to watch long movies. If I'm interested in them... Like, we went yeah. to see The Batman in cinema, yeah. and I was really interested oh God, in it. Oh, it was such a good movie. I really enjoyed it. And, I, like, it didn't feel like a three-hour movie. I, you, you're saying, like, I don't want to watch three-hour movies. How often have we sat down together and watched the, the extended editions of Lord of the Rings? Once a year for a, <laughs> their entire, every year of our relationship. Yeah, exactly. And we will continue to do it, maybe more than once a year, because like I said to you the other day, I watched um, a video by Cinema Therapy about Samwise Gamgee in Return of the King, and I love Return of the King, and then I went, oh, I want to watch Lord of the Rings again, so we might watch it sooner rather than later. That's fine. Um, but Gangs of New York... Um, like, There Will Be Blood is really good. Last of the Mohicans is also fantastic. But mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, personally, I think his best performance is Gangs of New York. Okay. Ha, just Bill the Butcher in my mind as Nicolas Cage or, you know, yeah, yeah. I was Lincoln say, as Nicolas Cage or Abraham, you know. Would like, it have like, been 
this would be as best for women. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even no, know if this is... How do you how do you play another human uh, being? No, people do it all the time. But I'm saying like Oh, with him as also yeah, in the movie? Yeah. I don't just, know. I, I would love to see a version of it. I just want to see a screen test. That's all yeah. I want to see. I want to see a screen test of Daniel Day Lewis playing Nicolas Cage against, against Nicolas, Nicolas Cage, Cage playing Javi. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be wonderful. Pedro Pascal. <laughs> Pedro Pascal is perfect though as Harvey. Oh, fantastic. Um, and I love what Nicolas Cage did as fake Nick Cage. Um, and it's a fantastic movie. Unbelievably fantastic. I genuinely want to see it again like as soon as I can. Um, but there's other movies we need to see in cinema as well. Um, but brilliant movie. If you come away from this with anything, it's go watch The Unbearable Weight of Matthew Donald. Yeah. And never watch The Fanatic. Erase the fanatic from your mind until we talk about it again when we <laughs> discuss it with Joker. Because we have to. We'll torture ourselves so you don't have to. 100%. We'll watch the fanatic. Well, will we watch it twice or will we just try it? No, it'll be it'll years be down the line. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, okay. I think that's about it. Anything else you want to say? I can't get over Daniel Day-Lewis playing. <laughs> the yeah. Uh, yeah, it would have been, been interesting. This, I mean, 100%, this would have been the first Daniel Day-Lewis film I ever saw if they had done that, because there's no way I was not seeing this movie. I've been looking forward to this movie for so long, and I am absolutely delighted that it's as amazing as it is. I think Nick Cage has been in some fantastic movies in recent years. Um, that being said, we've obviously made it known that, you know, we love earlier Nick Cage movies as yeah. well. Um, so I'm not saying Nick Cage has suddenly become a good actor because there seems to be a lot of that rhetoric going around. Yeah. I just think that there are, he's being recognized by casting directors more for interesting roles where he can do really interesting things. Yeah. Um, which is fantastic. Please comment um, on whatever via social media towards us of what your favorite Nicolas Cage performance is. Yeah, or absolutely. Be a be an outlier. And your favourite John Travolta performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe both of those is yeah. Face Off. Yeah. <laughs> I do love Face Off. It's mm. a great movie. We need, to find, we need to find another movie where someone takes someone's face off and then we can compare them. Um, we'll, we'll think about that later. I think there is one. <laughs> anyway, uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ItTakesTwo underscore pod or on Facebook at ItTakesTwoPod. Or you can find our website, www.ittakes2.co.nz. Stay safe out there, and we'll catch you next time. Goodbye. Oh, hello. Sorry to interrupt this podcast you've been listening to, but I'm Petros Patsyllabus, the host of Caged In and the subsequent series, Copla Connections, and I'm here today to tell you all about my podcast. Caged In is a Nicolas Cage retrospective podcast. I have watched every single Nicolas Cage film up to date. I've talked to many different people about his films, some of those who have been involved in them, from directors, writers, actors, all across the board. And I have had some fantastic guests to join me to discuss the work of the one, the only, Nicholas Kim Coppola. And moving on from that, since I've watched all of his films, I now look at the entire Coppola family filmography to determine are they the greatest film family of all time? And is Nicolas Cage the greatest actor of his or any acting generation for that matter? 
you can find Caged In wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Go on, stop what you're doing. Head on over, type in Caged In Copeland Connections and you'll find a bounty of podcasts in the back catalogue to enjoy. And I'm sure you very much will do. So come and get Caged In.